we are focusing on our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who alone stood in all the offices of the church, manifested all the gifts of the Spirit. He is our example. So we want to look at him and see how he did it, what he did, so we can learn from him. Uh, but let's remind ourselves of the five offices of the church. Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So there are five of them. Pastors, prophets, evangelists, pa uh, teachers. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, uh, I want to remind us that we need to serve God with all these giftings he has given us. It's part of what God gave us to serve him with. Just like you serve God with your time, with your money, with everything, you should also know that you are responsible to serve God with the spiritual gifts he's given you or the office into which he's called you. The Holy Spirit uses these things to administer the works of the kingdom here on earth through the body of Christ. So we need to understand that we owe it to God to yield ourselves to his spirit to use us in all of these capacities according to the calling of his grace upon our lives. It calls for faithfulness. We need to be faithful in those things. That's why we're teaching these things so that we take time to know them. But you know, if you are not interested in knowing them, then you will not serve God fully to the fullest of your capacity because the giftings he gave you, some of them are dormant. You are not using them. So that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is that we should use to God in all fullness of it so that God can use us the way he wants. Again, we need to have the right attitude in these giftings that God has given us. <clears throat> Remember that you're just one part of a body and, and others are also members of that body. So you are not like a notch above others. You are not privileged because he's using you in one office or in, another, in one gift. It doesn't make you better than anybody else at all. We need to understand that so that we are able to serve God with humility and under the submission of his spirit who is the one using us. It's not for personal aggrandizement. It's not for personal promotion. It's to serve Jesus in his kingdom. So let's look at Romans 12, 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, see, it's a call of grace, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dared to each one a measure of faith. So God is one using us. We should be sober. We shouldn't be arrogant. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, prideful. It's a, it's, a gift of, it's a gift of grace, according to the gift of grace. We don't really merit it. It's a gift of grace. And verse 4 says, For as we have many members in one body, that all the members do not have the same function. So, we being many are one body in Christ, not individually members of one another. So, all the members do not have the same function. So, the function God uses you for does not make you superior to the other person. So, don't begin to puff off and think, oh, because God is using me in this area or in this area, I'm now superior. No, no, no. Sometimes when God begins to use people in the church, they become unteachable. They become proud. And all this I too know comes in. They can't listen to their pastors anymore. They can't be under authority anymore. And that's recipe for failure because you definitely are going to fail. That's the spirit of Satan. It's a rebellious spirit. So we should, we should be sober in serving Jesus and serve, and serve under authority because God instructs us that we should be under authority. So verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace, you see, it's according to the grace 
that is given to us, grace, grace, grace unmerited, given to us, let us choose them. Then if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to, the, to our faith. Just do the much God gave you grace to do. Don't try to act beyond what God is using you to do so that people will say you are, you are so anointed. It won't work. Fake anointing does not impress anybody. It doesn't impress anybody. So verse 7, our ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching and he who exhausts, like in simple gifts of prophecy, in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who he leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So our attitude should be attitude of uh, being humble and, and being cheerful and then submitting to God and let him use us to the extent he wants to use us. And that will, will be certain. That will be done. We have done. We've been faithful. We've been faithful because you can't go beyond the measure of faith God has given you. You can't go beyond what God wants to use you to do. You don't use God. God uses us. So this is the attitude is important. And in the line of this, I want to remind us, though, that's important we will grow spiritually. Because if we don't grow spiritually, we're going to abuse whatever we have. Whether it's spiritual gifts, whether it's position in which you are, whether you are whether a wife God gave you or a husband God gave you or you are working, you have a job, you are going to abuse it because flesh, flesh is very abusive. It's very prideful. It's domineering. It's, you know, it wants to be the dominant person. My way is the highway. You're going to abuse it. But when you walk in the spirit life, you, you make yourself of no reputation. That's the life of Christ. The spirit life has no pride in it. It's no pride because that's Christ living through you. That's the life of Jesus. So we should, we should endeavor to grow spiritually. That's the most important gift, like I keep saying, is the life that Jesus gave you. That trumps every other thing that we are doing. So we need to be able to make sure that we grow so that the spirit of Christ controls these things, controls it, and uses it the way he wants to use it without our interjecting our flesh and our flesh will profit uh, nothing. So now look, let's look at Jesus, our example. Our Lord Jesus is the only one who, like I said, stood in all the five offices, all the fruits of the Spirit, and all the nine gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one. <clears throat> no other person can do that except the entire body of Christ in which all these gifts are distributed. But Jesus is the only one who stood in entire gifts and all the fruits of the Spirit and all the offices of the church. So we can look at him to see how he really uh, carried out in these offices and performed the gifts of the Spirit and as a pastor. Let's look at pastor, the office of a pastor. A pastor is a person called and anointed by the Holy Spirit to be a shepherd of God's sheep. The sheep does not belong to him. They belong to God. He's called to be a shepherd of God's sheep. Now, Jesus was the good shepherd and still is our great shepherd. So he stood in the office of a pastor. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. That's our Lord talking. I am the good shepherd. Now, he tells us the qualities of a good pastor. A good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. You see, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That indicates love for the sheep because love is proved by sacrifice. Verse 12, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He doesn't love them. He loves himself and he isn't their shepherd really. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the, food, the flock. Now verse 13, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So you see, 
A pastor's motive, it shouldn't be monetary gains. It shouldn't be monetary gains. It should be motivated by love that is proved in sacrifice. Prepare to sacrifice for the welfare and the good of the sheep. He says, how you know a hireling, the fake one, is that it's always about money. It's always about money, manipulating people, you know, to give him this, give him that. Just stuff like that. It's just money, 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 money. You know, and there's no sacrifice at all. You can't sacrifice anything at all. So those are the hirelings. And then Allah says, verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. So you see, relationship between the pastor and the sheep is personal. It's personal. The, 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 the sheep shouldn't be distant from you. So there shouldn't be all this putting all the protocols, protocols, you know, before you can see your pastor. Oh, my God, you need to fill all these forms and grants. That's not what our Lord is showing here. Say that it is personal. It's intimate. It's intimate. There shouldn't be protocol. A sheep should see the shepherd anywhere as possible. I'm not saying that a pastor should be overloaded with people coming to see him. But it should be such a way that it's easier for him, for them to reach him and he to reach them. So it's personal, without any protocol at all. So it says, uh, verse 15, just as my father knows me and I know the father. It says, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep too uh, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, the father lost me because I sacrificed my life. Watch how many times he uses this word, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice my life, so that I may take it up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. So what you're saying, the service of the pastor is voluntary. It's not by force. It's not by compulsion. It's willing. Love also is willing. Love manifests in sacrifice, willing sacrifice, willing sacrifice, motivated by the good of the, of the person you love, not by what you gain. So it is a sacrifice that is done voluntarily, willingly, and he said, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it, take, take it up again, for this is what my father has commanded. So we see our Lord Jesus showing us how he shepherds his sheep. And that's the model that we also <clears throat> need to follow. So in summary, we said, a good shepherd loves the sheep and shows it by willing sacrifice. And his motive is not monetary gain or material gain or position or title or anything else. His motive is not those things. His motive is love for the sheep, love that is prepared to pay a price. His service is a willing service, not by compulsion. So he doesn't serve them by anger and he's angry with the sheep all the time. No. And then the proof of his, of his love is sacrifice. Remember that when you love somebody, really, because of that love, sacrifice has no pain. It doesn't happen. In Genesis 29, 20, and Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Remember, he served seven years for Rachel, and the father-in-law tricked him and gave him Rachel's sister. Now he's serving another seven years. All together, 14. He served, he served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him, but a few days. Why? For the love he had to her. That's what love is. Love is proved in sacrifice, willing sacrifice. So a pastor should love the sheep, so much that he doesn't complain, oh, see what I'm doing for you, people. No, it's, it's a love affair. To, to him, it's nothing. Jacob, the Bible says, it seemed to him but a few days. Yet it was seven years. 
Seven years is not seven days, but to him, it was for a few days. Now, a good shepherd focuses on the health of the sheep, on the health of the sheep. The diet, he feeds them. He takes them to good pasture where they can get good grass, takes them to where they, the work they can graze, takes them to where they can drink good water. That's what the shepherd does. John 21, 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than this? He said unto him, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lamb. I'm going to leave, but I need you to feed my lamb. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep, the lamb, the sheep, the young ones, the, the grown-ups, the, the babies, feed them. 16. He said to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. 17. He said unto him, the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him, the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Three times, feeding the sheep was all he wanted. Feed my sheep. They need good diet. They need good diet. Now that tells you that a good pastor's passion and focus and concern is to feed the sheep the good diet. Jesus is the manna. Jesus is the manna. To feed the sheep the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Jesus, so they can grow in the knowledge of him and be grounded and rooted in him. Sincere milk of the word. He is the word. Jesus is the word. The Bible calls him the word in the book of Revelation. He's the word. So a good pastor should feed the sheep Good, good diet. You feed them the law. The law of Moses is not the diet. God brought it to an end. The law does not give life. Does not give life. Jesus gives life. Food, good food gives life. The law, the Bible said there's no law that gives life. When you feed people the law, they die. It doesn't give life. You feed them the knowledge of Christ, it gives life. Jesus gives life. Good food, good, good grazing ground, the sheep will feed and have life and they're healthy. A pastor's passion will be to feed the sheep correct diet. Quick means you will fight for your pulpit, the devil will never speak from there. You won't let just anybody come up on your pulpit and, and feed the sheep of God poison simply because it's either your friend or your in-law. You, you don't do that. No pastor has any right to do what he likes in the church. The church is God's church. It's the church of Jesus. We are here for a while and we go. We are not permanent. You don't have the right. It's not, the sheep is not yours. The sheep is his. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's my sheep. It's my sheep. So you don't come and give your puppy just about anybody because, you know, you was you, your classmate. Oh, I used to. No. You have to allow the spirit of Christ confirm to you who is going to speak here on that pulpit. If I tell pastors, if you've, if, if you've never engaged the devil concerning your pulpit, maybe you have a, a problem. Because the devil will fight to want to speak there. He will want to. He will sneak in through somebody want to speak there. So we need to be, con- this, is, this is the qualities of a good shepherd. He makes sure that he, the, he feeds the sheep properly. That's why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. See, Paul, 
Take heed to yourself and the doctrine. Don't just teach any type of doctrine. No manner of doctrines out there. But you have to allow the Bible to guide you and determine the doctrine you teach. He said, continue in them, for in doing this, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. You see the passion of a good, a good pastor is to study scriptures, to pray, and then to make sure that what is giving the sheep is what the, the shepherd gave him, the revelation that he gave him to give the sheep. Not everybody may not understand the quality, but you stay at it and keep praying, and God will do what he does best. He will reveal the truth to them. So a pastor, is, the Bible says he must be apt to teach because it's through teaching that he also feeds the sheep. Now, the second thing about the pastor is that he teaches with his life. Actually, his life is a greater means of teaching than his word. If his life and his word don't match, what he's teaching is not believable. It's not believable. A pastor must be believable. If you are teaching people to believe God for healing, you too must also believe God for healing. What you don't practice, you don't have moral right to teach it. It's like saying, follow my word, don't follow my action. So a, a pastor teaches also through his, through his life, through his life. Jesus taught through his life. Paul was telling again the Corinthians, he says, the reason you follow me is because I follow Jesus. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, be you followers of me, even I, as I also am of, am of Christ. The, the main credential a pastor has is he's following Jesus. If he's not following Jesus, he's not a shepherd. He's a hireling. He's following some, another, another spirit. He must be following Jesus. His life must be transparent, totally transparent to everybody. Everything in the church. The account of the church must be brought out. What are you hiding? Bring it out. Let everybody see it. Transparency is called for. It's not your money. It's, the, it's their money. Bring it out. Let everybody see it. It should be done in the open. Nothing should be hidden. Even if you have millions, bring it out. Let them see it. Transparency is the key thing. Transparency is the key thing. So a, a, a good pastor teaches with his, with his life to Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. See where he leads them. He leadeth me beside still waters. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. So he guides them gently back when they stray. He doesn't fight them. You don't fight the sheep of God. You guide them gently back. You can't be exchanging words with the sheep of God. You need to treat them like the Paul said, I'm among you, treating like a nurse. He restored my soul. He leaded me in the path of righteousness. A good pastor does not lead the sheep in the path of unrighteousness. You can't lead them in the path of unrighteousness. You have to lead them in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When you teach, it should be comforting. It should bring, it should be comforting. It should be, be comforting. So we see the life of Jesus as a, a shepherd. So we have learned how it works there. Now the other thing is the apostle. A person called and anointed by the Holy Spirit and sent for the purpose of preaching the gospel and starting new works. Anointed by the Holy Spirit called to preach the gospel and start new work. Start new work. And when he starts new work, he appoints pastors. He starts a, people like church planters. They plant a church, grows, they move on. When you know, they are planting many churches. That's their life. They can't stay. But finally, somewhere, somewhere, they need to settle down because of, I mean, they're growing older or something. God will say, it's okay, stay here now. But they plant churches, they plant, they start a work, and God sends them in a, a new fields, really. <clears throat> I, I, I like to call them God's bulldozer. 
That's when they go into a field with full of bush, and God sends them there. And they go, that's why they manifest all these power gifts, special faith and everything, because they need to confront demonic forces in those areas. So they go into, into new grounds, into uh, until, uh, uh, a ground that nobody's gone to, go there, and God sends them there with this anointing, and they preach the gospel with signs and wonders following, and, they get, and people get saved, and then they're able to organize it and put elders there. That's an apostle. That's an apostle. The Lord Jesus was also an apostle. In Matthew 4, 16, the people who sat in darkness saw great light. You see, it was darkness. So great light came. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostle must preach the gospel. Important. He sent to preach the gospel. He preaches the gospel with signs and wonders following. Then he organizes the, 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 the converts and then teaches them. In fact, the apostle is really multi gifted. Teaches them and then grows and then he's able to now begin to help them to find their giftings and he plants a church and puts somebody there and moves on. Look at Hebrew 3 verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is called an apostle. He's a saint one. He came into darkness. He started the work which is still growing today. So he's an apostle. Now, the sense of an apostle in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So Paul says, these are the signs of an apostle. You people saw it in my life. Anybody can wake up and say, I'm an apostle because you released one, we played one music somewhere, in, somewhere now. All of a sudden, you're an apostle. No, you're not an apostle because you, you played music. You can be a musician, to God be the glory. But you're not an apostle. An apostle is people sent in to start works and to organize it, to establish it, and they have signs and wonders following. So now Paul says there are signs of an apostle. You need to see those things to know if this person is an apostle or not. They manifest these gifts, these um, power gifts, especially gift of special faith, especially gift of special faith, because opposition that comes to them is a lot. So they need this special faith to be able to stand and to break through all those things. They, all, they do things that are, that are unusual, very, very unusual. I'm telling you, they do a lot of unusual things. So... Uh, now, let's look at our Lord Jesus Christ and then see uh, his life as an apostle. Remember we said that the apostle manifests power gifts, uh, the gift of special faith, gift of miracles, gifts of healings. These are power gifts, three of them. Acts 2.22, you men of Israel, hear this word. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. See? Miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself also know. So you see, the, the signs of an apostle was on him too. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So apostles preached the gospel first. Apostles preached the gospel first. And then, through signs and wonders, confirm it. And people come into the kingdom, and they are established. So um, now let's go on and talk about the evangelist. The evangelist, a person called and anointed by the Holy Spirit to be a preacher of the good news. The difference between the evangelist and the apostle is that the apostle will stay and establish the work. The evangelist preaches and moves on. 
And the evangelist is supported by churches. Even an apostle is also supported by churches because Paul was supported by different churches. So an evangelist is supported by churches. So when he preaches, the churches now send people. The churches now send people to organize those things. He moves on. He moves on. He's not gifted in organizing churches. The churches now send people to organize those things. Or like the apostle, who is gifted to organize it, he stays and organizes it, like Paul. Now, eventually, preach, they are itinerant preachers. Their ministry is not within the church. To all these people going from church to church, say, I'm an evangelist. You are not. Find something else. You are not. Evangelists like Bonke is outside. Bonke was preaching outside. Not in church, church. No. Outside. That's the evangelist for you with signs following. So they are God's harvesters to bring him the harvest. It's, you know, they go to where the fish is. Out there in the ocean of humanity, they, they are like God's um, basket to bring in the fish. That's what they are. And our Lord Jesus was an evangelist. Luke 4, 43. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So he was going from city to city preaching the gospel. And also evangelists manifest the same power gifts as the, as the, as the apostles do. They manifest it. Let's look at Acts 21, 8. And the next day, we, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. Remember, Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven and above with him. Now, in Acts 8, 12, let's see what Philip the Evangelist did. You see that evangelists also operate the gifts, the power gifts. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself also believed. When he, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Miracles, power gifts, and signs which were done. So that's, that's the office of an evangelist now. Our Lord Jesus Christ was an evangelist in, in Hebrew 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that had him. So he started to preach this gospel. So he was really, really in the, uh, an evangelist also. Matthew chapter 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when, he, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. That's another motive of the evangelist, compassion, compassion, love, compassion, compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. This is the motive of the, both the apostles, the pastor, uh, the evangelists, the, all of these offices. The love of God is the motivating thing, the same thing that moved Jesus to come and die for us, compassion. He had compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. At seven, then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. See the thought where the evangelist thinks, he thinks about the harvest. It's plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Now, Mark, Matthew eleven four, Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again. Those things, this, those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the door have, 
and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whoever shall not be offended in me. So Jesus is saying, go and tell him, I'm doing the work of an evangelist. The gospel is being preached. Signs and wonders are following. Go and tell John that I'm, I'm doing what my father sent me to do. So Jesus was an evangelist. Now Jesus was a teacher. He was a teacher. He stood in the office of a teacher. A person supernaturally anointed to teach the word of God. Supernaturally anointed to teach the word of God. Before, before I leave, the, 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 let me go back a little bit to the evangelist. Thing, because every Christian really should be preaching the gospel. So that doesn't mean that it, you, you are not supposed to preach the gospel because you are not an evangelist. No. Every Christian should preach the gospel. But the evangelist preaches it on a higher scale because he's specially anointed to do that. He's specially anointed to do that. So every Christian should preach the gospel. But the evangelist preaches it on a higher scale because he has a, a call and an anointing upon him to do that. Now we're talking about teaching. The same thing, a teacher, a person supernaturally anointed to teach the word of God. Now, Many people teach in the Sunday schools, life centers, and churches, people teach. But there are people who are really, really supernaturally anointed to teach. When they teach, you notice the anointing to teach on them. They are called to teach. It's their call in life to teach. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 31, and came down to Capernaum, that's Jesus, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. I want you to notice what I said, that the anointing of a teacher and be observed. When a teacher is teaching, you can notice the anointing. Actually, you can always observe the anointing on a person when he's under the anointing, doing what God called him to do. You will see the anointing manifest. So now here Jesus was teaching. You observe the anointing of a teacher on him. In, in Luke chapter, Luke 4, 31, and he came down to Apollon, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath day 32, and they were astonished at his doctrine for him. His word was with power. They recognized it. They said, this, there's something about this teaching. He has the anointing to teach. It's with power. It's with power. It's with power. There's an anointing on him. Even the heathens recognize that. Anointing can be recognized. It doesn't need to be advertised. You don't have to announce it. If people will know you are really gifted in this thing. You are really, really gifted in it. Now, in Luke chapter 4, verse 36... And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean priests, and they came out. So they recognized the anointing he had to perform miracles. They saw the anointing work. They said, Wow, this is power. This is amazing. What a word. This word is not regular. It's not, actually, they said it's not like our, our, our teachers and things. So they recognized the anointing in Jesus. You can recognize the anointing on a person to stand in an office. You can recognize it. You can. People do recognize it. So, uh, and I, I, um, I want to also let us understand that the main ministry of our Lord Jesus was teaching. People think it's miracles. It's not miracle. It's teaching. Out of 90 times that Jesus was referred to directly in Scripture according to scholars. I don't, I'm not a scholar. Out of 90 times that Jesus was referred to in Scripture directly, 50 of them he was called a teacher. So people really knew him more as a teacher because that's what he was doing mainly. That underscores the importance of the teaching, the teaching call, the teaching, the office of the teacher. It's a crucial, very important strategic office that God gives people. You should see the importance of the office of a teacher. So Jesus was mainly known as a teacher. And he even said it in John 3, 13. I mean, John 13, 13. He says, you call me teacher. And Lord, 
you say well, for so I am. I'm a teacher, yes. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should, or you should also, you should, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. You see, part of the ministry is not just to teach, but also your life should be an example. That's what he's saying. I'm a teacher. Yeah, I teach you not only by words, I teach you by example, like we said before. So in verse 16, John 13, 16, say, most, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. Say, so you should follow your teachers and listen to them. Now, uh, Jesus was, like I said, known mainly as a teacher. Matthew 8, 19. Then a certain scribe came and said unto him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So they know him as teacher. Because he was teaching. Why is teaching ministry very important? It is God's office to grow the babies to maturity. The Bible says we should believe the things as we've been taught. As we've been taught, you should Believe what you, you should follow what you've been taught. Nobody becomes anything except you are taught that thing. Now. If you are a doctor, you are taught to be a doctor. I'm a pharmacist. I trained as a pharmacist. I was taught in pharmacy school to be a pharmacist. You are taught to be a pilot. You are taught to drive. You are taught. So teaching is key because it, it brings the babies to maturity. It's God's office to fight ignorance and the devil's false doctrine and deceit. You see the importance of the office of the teacher? It's, God, it's God, what God uses to fight ignorance and deceit of the devil and false doctrines. Through the teacher, God brings clarity and brings revelations that you need to have so that you not be deceived because we live in a world where the devil is deceiving people. He's crawling all over the place, deceiving people. I'm telling you. There are people who have been in ministry for years. All of a sudden, they are talking nonsense. Pastors who had late churches, all of a sudden, is talking what you can't find in the Bible. People are falling right, left, right, and center because they are not. They, don't, they are not mentored. They don't have teachers. I don't care who you are. You need a teacher. I need a teacher. Everybody needs a teacher. Everybody needs a teacher. The teaching ministry, you don't outgrow it. The moment you think you can't sit down and be taught, you're already in trouble. You are already in trouble. So it's, it's, God's back, it's, it's God's ministry to close the back door through which the sheep slips off, through the seat. It's God's latch, door latch. See the importance of teaching? God door latch. Because through the seat, the devil steals the souls of them. What they used to believe, they wouldn't believe anymore. Before you know it, they're back talking, just talking what you don't know where it's coming from. So he was very prominent as a teacher. And there are people God has anointed who are anointed teachers. And like I said, the anointing of a teacher can be observed, can be seen. Now, we come to the office of a prophet. A prophet is one anointed to speak for God and proclaim God's will through the gifts of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment of spirit, and the inspirational gift of prophecy. Don't be confused. The inspirational gift of prophecy is not the same as a prophet. But every prophet exercises this simple gift of prophecy. Every prophet does that. Every prophet does that. But some people have only this simple gift of prophecy and they are not prophets. Because they don't exercise the other revelation gifts that the prophets manifest. Remember that simple gift of prophecy has no revelation in it. It's simple, very simple inspirational gift through which you, can, you encourage people, which you, you exhort people, which you comfort people. And it's very important because 
without it, many people will be backsliding. They'll be backsliding. So it's another ghost back door latch. I use it to latch the, lock up the thing. So instead of backsliding, after you come under such inspiration, you, you come back to life. You get back into the battle. So every, every prophet manifests that. Then in addition, they have the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirit, which are revelation gifts. So they have revelation gifts plus the gift of a prophecy. Now, some people ask, can a, can a person be a prophet, and, a prophet and another thing? Of course. Moses was a prophet and a pastor. Of course. Moses was a prophet and a pastor. He led God's people. David was, had the anointing of a king and a prophet. Nobody has all of them, but God can use him two at the same time. So he can be a prophet, can be a pastor. Who is a prophet? Like Moses. And sometimes the message of the prophet is direct and sometimes harsh. Because God uses the prophet sometimes to prune his people, chastise them, so they conform to his holiness. Because he's God's, he's an anointed voice for God to proclaim God's will. That's, that's what prophets do. If you read the Old Testament, they correct the people, they tell them the judgment is coming. They, they, they're not in the message of God loves you. And like I said the other time, they hardly follow scripts. They hardly follow scripts. When that anointing comes on them, no matter the script you put up upon them, they are deviating because there's something coming from their spirit. And under that anointing, they just have to say it. They just have to follow it. So their messages are really sometimes harsh, but that's, that's the anointing they have. They bring, they bring, they, they bring, they, they proclaim God's will. They proclaim God's will and they speak for him. These are prophets. Now, in, in uh, um, Hebrew 12, 10, for they indeed for a few days chastise us as same best for them, but he for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, he yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, the, the chastisement is a topic that, that's, what, that's not what we're dealing with. But I just want to say that the, the prophet can be used of God to chastise people, to chastise the church, to chastise his people, and tell to them, this, you are gone off. Why? Because the prophet is sensitive to what, he has this ability to discern what is off mark from God's will. <laughs> very easily, very easily to discern what is off mark because he operates word of knowledge so he can know what's happening. He may not know it in, in, in specific terms, but he can sense this is what is not, not happening that should be happening. The, what, the people of God are gone this way, and this is God's will. So God uses them to kind of bring the people back where they should be. The, the prophet is really the voice, God's voice, to proclaim God's will through these uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit. Now, his God's voice to announce his plan and purpose so they can come to pass. They can come into reality. Remember that God created the earth. He said, let there be. God still speaks through people, oracles of God. God still speaks. God still speaks. So when God wants to do something, he said, I will show it to my prophets so they can speak it. They can pronounce my word and it comes into being. They are God's voice to bring the will of God to the people, bring chastisement sometimes. They are also God's voice to bring the word of God into, to speak it out so that it comes into reality, into manifestation. So now let's see an example, Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets, he specified. 
I'm going to show you the prophets. Why? I want them to say it. Like I said, let there be, and there was. I want them to say it now. So when they say it, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. The word spoken become life. So that's some of the things that the prophet does. Look at this in Matthew 120. Matthew 120. But while he taught on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done, listen to this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet. God spoke to about by the prophets. The Bible says now the words of the prophet is coming into reality. They first spoke it, now it's coming into reality. Verse 22 again, now all this was done that they might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord, because it's the Lord that anoints them, by the prophet declaring the will and purpose of God, saying, this is what the prophet said, though, behold, a virgin shall be with a child, with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The prophet first spoke it, and it came into, into manifestation. Like God first spoke, let there be, and came into manifestation. The Bible says the things we see were made by the things we don't see. That by, by, by words, by words, the, the people of old created their words. Words were created by words, by words. So the prophet also stands in that calling that God will show him in his spirit what, he may not see a vision or anything, but he will know in his spirit this is what God wants to do. And start to pronounce it. And at appointed time, it will come to pass. So it's like the prophet is like a creative voice, really, that God uses. This is why God says, I, I wouldn't do anything unless I reveal it to my prophets now. Now, real prophets, not the fake ones. The fortune tellers don't do anything God is doing. They are not of God. All they do is to tell you, if you go to do business, you will succeed. Whether you are smuggling, whether you are stealing, whether you are cheating the government, they'll be praying for you to succeed. Then when you succeed, you bring them money. Those are criminals. That's not the prophet of God. Those are not, by their, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall not. They're, they're not giving you the will and purpose of God for your life and telling you, stop, stop this thing you are doing. Stop, stop all these false marriages you will arrange. That's not godly. The verse of a prophet will tell you that. It's not godly. What you are doing is not godly. But the one that said, let me pray for you to walk, is God. It's not, that's why it's a false demonic prophet. You don't need to listen to it. So now it's not wonder that the prophet oppressed the word of wisdom. That is God's purpose and plan in the future. We can declare it, or word of knowledge, the present and past fact about a person or a thing or a people that the Holy Spirit reveals to him. So he sees that this is out of line, out of alignment from divine will. Then the Son of Spirit lets him see into the realm of the spirit world. All in the, all in the, uh, in the process of God revealing to him what his will is, what his mind is, where the people are on this thing. And then he can talk to them about it. And God revealing to him what his future plan is. So he can speak it so that it will come to pass. Now, you know John the Baptist was a prophet. Jesus said he was a prophet. Now Luke seven twenty six. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Say yes. He said yes. He's going to say, he said yes. He's a prophet. I said to you, I'm more than a prophet. So he's a prophet. He said yes, he's a prophet. 
but more than a prophet. He's a prophet, but more than a prophet. He's a prophet, but more than a prophet. He's a prophet, but more than a prophet. Why is he a prophet? He was bringing God's will and pronouncing it among the people. In Mark 1, 7, I'm pre-saying, there cometh one mightier than I after, after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but it shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's, that's John pronouncing, proclaiming what God, the purpose and the will of God that is going to happen. Now, the Lord Jesus himself was a prophet. Matthew 21, 11. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. But the Lord called himself a prophet in Luke chapter 4, verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendants and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. 21. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22. So, he, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth because anointing can be observed. Proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have had done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Verse 24. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So he called himself a prophet. Verse 25. But I, I tell you truly, many widows, now the prophet anointing came on him. He began to speak to them as a prophet. He began to tell them about the, their stiff nakedness, that they were not listening to the prophets of old, and that they still were not listening to him. He was, he was calling them out. That's what prophets do. He was just calling them out for their responses to God. So he began in verse 25. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up, three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, 26. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. The woman who is a widow, telling them, God of all the whole Israel, that there was not found anyone who can believe God, except a foreign woman. Then verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. The prophet's ministry is tough. Filled with wrath. This is not preacher and preacher. No. He brings the truth. And they said, it's bitter. 29. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. The tough call. The prophets of call. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. That's again, that distinguishes the prophet. Walking of miracles and distance. So you can see, you can see that the ministry of the prophet really is, is, is a tough one. Really a tough one. Because once it comes on them, they're just operating. They, can't, they, can't, they, have, they just can't even stop. They just have to. They can be preaching and all of a sudden the thing comes on him. He goes off street and starts telling people what is coming from his spirit. You know? And then there's this woman that recognized Jesus as a prophet because prophets manifest word of uh, uh, wisdom. Now, John 4, 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may thirst, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman 
answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. The one which you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> you, you are a prophet. I can see correction. Yeah, what you're saying is right. It is not your husband. Correction. And word of knowledge. I perceive you are a prophet. Confronting me with what I'm doing. I perceive you are a prophet. Because of time, we can't continue. We should have shown you the sign of spirit that the Lord manifested, the sign of spirit with word of wisdom, and other things that the Lord manifested. But by Thursday, we will continue and conclude these things right there. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for teaching us about the offices along with the gifts that come with them so that we can find our place, find our gifting, find our call, and serve you fully, not partially. Serve you boldly, for Paul said, I have not received the spirit of fear. That we should stir up our gifts. We shouldn't be shy about them. We shouldn't let the devil stop us. Because somebody is going to be blessed if we let God use us. Pray that you help us, Lord, that we discover our place in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.